As I said earlier, that we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Titus. And our sermon series is titled Transformational Truth. How the word of God, how the Bible, how the scriptures is the source of truth. And how, as Steph was saying earlier, is how when that truth is applied, it can completely transform us. It transforms the way that we act. It transforms the way that we think. And then ultimately, and most importantly, the truth, the message of the gospel, the good news brings us into a redeemed and restored relationship with God. Amen? And we have the privilege of sharing the gospel, the power of the cross, the resurrection, and the message of salvation, in part by living our lives as redeemed people to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Dominic touched on it last week, but I want to reiterate it here is that we have a common problem in our society, and it's just a common human problem. And that's and that it's one thing to have a cognitive understanding of truth, and then another thing to be able to apply or to implement that truth into our daily lives. We, as people, are generally good at having a cognitive understanding of truth, but we struggle, the applica- we struggle with the application of that truth. For example, I can know that eating a lot of fried foods or sweets is not good for me and will lead to a host of health problems as I get older. But knowing what is good to eat and actually eating what is good for your body are two different things. I personally love french fries, and I have them every once in a while. But if I ate french fries every single meal of every single day, first off, that'd be a lot of grease, but I would have major cardiovascular problems if I did that every single day. And similarly, I can know that it is important to do physical exercise and to help my body grow stronger, and that will prevent health problems later, but Knowing to work out is different from me getting up and actually doing it. And personally, I don't really enjoy working out that much. But the more I do it, the more I enjoy it. And I find ways to do it that I enjoy doing it. Like taking daily walks with my wife, Allison, son, Zephaniah, and our colleagues, Bear and Thor. And we'll continue to do that until it snows and our stroller will not roll anymore in the snow drifts which then during winter, I'll go and hibernate during the winter, which will be in about a month from now. Sorry, I don't mean to start off on a depressing note. But similarly, we can know biblical truths. We can know what we need to do that helps us grow in our relationship with God and how important it is to connect with God and to connect with others and to have healthy relationships with others. I can know these truths and best practices are true, but to live a life where I don't actually apply them in my life. And having unapplied truth is like going to build a new house. You get all the blueprints, you get all the permits, you have all the materials that you have to build the house, and then you say, well, 
All that lumber looks great in a pile just sitting there. I mean, that these blueprints are just a work of art right here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take these blueprints and I'm just going to nail them to the pile of wood right here. Voila! You have a house. Job done, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks, Quinn. <laughs> no, that would be ridiculous. You wouldn't do that. And when you hear biblical truth, the application of that truth is just important as the truth itself. And in Titus 2, Paul shares characteristics of what it looks like to live godly lives and how our lives should reflect and look like what Jesus' life looked like. We live lives that look like Jesus so that people can look at our lives and see how the gospel has completely transformed our lives and for people to come to a saving faith in Jesus. So we'll go ahead and jump into Titus 2. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them up at this time. The text will be on the screen, but before we uh, read God's word, I will open us up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word and the truths that are in your word, Lord. Help us to be hearers, to be listeners of your word, and help us to be doers of your word, Lord. And give us insights as to how we are to apply this to our own hearts and our own minds. And give us hearts and minds to hear what you have to say to us today. It's the transforming power of your truth. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we read, Titus 2 picks up where we left off last week. And as a refresher from last week, Dominic shared from Titus 1 where Paul writes of the qualifications for biblical leadership for the elders and also how to deal with people who are rebellious. And if you missed that, you can listen to our podcast online and catch up. But today, Titus 2 continues on with specific instructions for Titus to follow as a leader in the church of Crete. So we'll go ahead and read along in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to please them, 
not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. And that's where we'll stop in verse 10. And as a reminder, geographically, the island of Crete is just off the southern coast of Greece. The entire island is known for its commitment to deception, and its people are known as liars. So Paul is speaking to a people. He's speaking to a church that is immersed in this culture. And that, what, that is what this island is known for. So starting off in verse 1, Paul is continuing his thoughts from chapter 1. So in chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says to pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands or those who reject the truth. And this is a consistent theme of chapter 1, of the importance of not following human traditions and these myths that were being shared amongst the group of believers in Crete. Paul shares to Titus, the pastor of the church, of, the, of teaching what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And doctrine meaning instruction or teaching. Paul is giving Titus and the elders of the church the charge to teach sound instruction or healthy teaching. He he is saying instead of these endless genealogies, these Jewish myths or vague oral traditions that are being passed around, and he is instructing them to teach what is true and to speak sound teaching. And this is an application point for us today. Having sound teaching, even and especially if it runs counter to what's in common culture. And that is extremely important. As Pastor Dominic was sharing last week, the importance of having teaching that is centered on the Bible, that is centered on the scriptures, and that is where we find our teaching as believers in Jesus And as a church, and from an individual perspective, it is critical to have sound doctrine in a believer's life, to have healthy teaching in a believer's life. Because it is so important for us, our individual walks with Jesus, to be centered on the Bible. And that is one reason why we as a church have it as a goal to spend 10 minutes with God and connecting with God's word on a daily basis for 10 minutes to give him 10. When you read God's word daily, you learn more about who God is and who you are through a scriptural lens or through a scriptural worldview. And that changes how you behave and that changes how you act. Because if you have an idea of who God is, and it's not what the Bible teaches, or it's not what Scripture says, it will change the way you see things, and it will ultimately change your behavior, and it will change your actions. An example of this is someone who might view God as an extremely wrathful, 
or that God is just looking to punish people who are doing wrong and that there's no love, there's no grace, and there's no mercy. And generally, someone who views God through this lens will exhibit these same characteristics. They don't show love, they don't show grace, or they don't show mercy to other people. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you can have someone who views God as God, uh, that God is the God of love. He's the God of acceptance and the God of affirmation who doesn't want us to change any of our sinful behaviors about us. And generally, someone who views God through this lens will continue on sinning and doing what they're doing, and then they'll ultimately end up destroying their life by saying that God will forgive me. And from a scriptural perspective, Psalm 9-7 and many other passages, God is full of justice. And then one of my favorite passages, the fulfillment of God's judgment, is Revelation 21. That one day, all the wrongs will be made right. And then in Hebrews 4, where we learn that God is full of grace and he's full of mercy. And he's the one who we are all ultimately accountable to. It's having those delicate balances of having a scriptural perspective on who God is. So it's critical for the life of the believer. And then also, it is also critical for a church to have sound doctrine. In addition to our personal walks, we as a church always need to be sound in what we are following, which is ensuring that we are always centralized and focused on the Bible and that the Bible is always the source of truth truth, for us as a church, as a gathering of believers. We need to be sure that we heed the warnings that Paul was sharing with Titus, that we as a church, that we don't follow myths, oral traditions, or merely human commands, but that we set the scriptures as our foundation for our guiding principles as a church. And that when we, as a church, set our foundation on scriptures, that we will be healthy as a church and that we are honoring God because we are faithful to his commands and his order that is found in scripture. Scripture provides us, both Maple Plain Community Church and also churches around the globe, with the only principles that will help guide us to where God wants us to be as the body of Christ until he comes back again. Amen? Amen. Paul then moves into a time of teaching and instruction for the church in Crete, setting an example for them as to what is fit teaching. Paul describes in chapter 1 how the Cretans, people from Crete, describe themselves. In chapter 1, he says, kind of quoting a prophet from Crete, that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. So they are a hedonistic culture that only serves for self-pleasure and self-indulgence. Kind of remind you of a culture we currently live in. This is the place that Titus is pastoring. And Paul is writing specific instructions to Titus to address these various groups within the church. And if you, you'll notice that there is a central theme in every single one of these commands. And that theme is self-control and discipline. 
It is to exhibit the fruit of the spirit of self-control and discipline. To be a disciplined person and to have order within the household. It's speaking of individual family households, and it's also speaking to the church. And kind of echoing what Pastor Dominic said last week, the most important relationships that you have if you're married is your spouse. And then second, if you have kids, it is your kids. Those are the most important relationships that you have or will have or might have. And that is why it is always so important to set those relationships as the priority. And we will be discussing that shortly as we go throughout the instructions. So starting off in verse 2. He starts off speaking to older men. And then he instructs Titus to have them be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. When it talks about older men and women, he is speaking to generally people who most likely have raised their children and then their children are already out, already out of the house. That's kind of like the age demographic that he's speaking to. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And so his instructions for older men is to be temperate, which temperate means to be not extreme, and not excessive. More so relating to having a sober mind, which is a contrast to drunkenness. To have clarity of mind and to have good judgment. And I think the first obvious thing that comes to mind here is, of course, the overindulgence of alcohol or drunkenness, which is a sin. And this is a part of what he is referring to but is also referring to someone who does not fly off the handle on a whim. That they don't respond with extreme emotion. You might know someone like this, where you might be afraid to talk to someone or to bring up a difficult conversation with someone because they will go to an extreme. Emotionally or be excessive within their response. That would be an example of someone who is not temperate. They go to extremes and are excessive, and then with that, they lack clarity of mind and they lack good judgment. Worthy of respect and self-control. And self-control meaning to be sensible. Self-control, worthy of respect, and temperate. They're all tied to one another. Someone who is in control of their self, sensible individuals, they do not overindulge in things, they don't fly off the handle, someone who has clarity of mind and good judgment, someone who is temperate and is self-controlled is someone who exhibits good behavior, which leads them to being worthy of respect. In general, this is applicable to everyone. If you want to Earn respect from people. Exhibit temperance. Don't go, don't go to extremes. Don't be excessive. Be self-controlled in your mind. Be self-controlled with your actions. And that will help you earn respect with others and will help you love others well. I think it's important also to say that this is all fueled through the Holy Spirit's work within you. 
And I think that's an important caveat. Lastly, being sound in faith, in love, and endurance. To be sound in these three characteristics, faith, love, and endurance. Three things that as you get older, sometimes we have the tendency to lose these characteristics. Sometimes it's hard to maintain a perspective of faith in God and trusting in him when things get really hard. Sometimes it can be hard to love those who hurt you and knowing the importance that we are not running a sprint in the Christian life, but that we are running a marathon. And Paul is just sharing the importance of endurance to persevere and fight the good fight and spread the message of Jesus until the end, no matter the amount of adversities that face you. In verse 3, he shifts his attention from the older men to the older women in the church. Paul shares that, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Paul shares an almost identical statement with Timothy in 1 Timothy, who was a young pastor. And this emphasis across the epistles shows that slander was a big problem within the churches at that time, which slander is also known as malicious talk or backbiting or speaking negatively about someone. It's interesting is that the Greek word for slander is diabolos. Did any of you know that? Greek word for slander is diabolos. So devil is the root word of diabolos. Diablo, diabolos, diablos, that connection there. And so the implication for this word choice is that those who cannot control their tongue, those who speak lies, who share false accusations, and are spreading malicious gossip, are doing the work of Satan. That is literally what slander is defined as. That one who is speaking for the devil. Diabolos. So when you are slandering, speaking negatively against someone, malicious, maliciously attacking someone, you are doing the work of Satan. That is what it is described as. But slandering requires two parties. You need two individuals for slander to occur. There is the speaker, the one who is actively slandering, and then there is the listener. And if you are listening to slander, you are enabling and passively participating in the sin. And unfortunately, this happens everywhere all the time. It's nothing new. It can happen at your workplace. It can happen in your neighborhood. It can happen in churches. Paul is literally writing about this 2,000 years ago. Satan is not creative, and it is nothing new. And if you find yourself in a situation where you start to notice that you are hearing someone being slandered, or if you start noticing that you are the recipient of slander, gossip, malicious talk, and it is about someone else, your response should be, have you talked to this person about this issue specifically? I suggest that you bring it up with them instead of talking to me about it. 
Because actively and passively participating in slander is a sin. What you say in your words are incredibly important. As Jesus says in Matthew 15, it is not what goes in the mouth of a man that makes him unclean and defiled, but it is what comes out of his mouth. What you say and the words that come out of your mouth are what, they're, they're, are what brewing in your heart. It's brewing in your mind. It's what's steeping in your heart and what's steeping in your mind. And then it pours out of your mouth. This is also referenced in James chapter 3, which shares how the tongue is a small part of the body. But yet how much destruction one small part of the body can cause. Your words carry much weight. Do not use them carelessly and use them to build each other up and not to tear down. In verse 3, Paul instructs the older women to also not to be addicted to much wine and to teach what is good. Once again, echoing similar thoughts to what is found in verse 2, of sharing the importance of being sober-minded and the importance of teaching what is good, and then moving on to show what is good to be teaching to the younger women. And this teaching is not necessarily like this kind of teaching of me speaking to you all or a class setting of some kind, but this teaching comes through lives lived as examples for the younger women and doing life with them and show them what it means to be a godly woman. Paul instructs the older women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. And once again, you see the importance of being self-controlled. Paul is writing to this culture that is filled with self-indulgence. If married and with kids, the importance of the love that a mother and a wife can show to their husband and kids. Being busy at home. In the NRSV, it shares to be good managers of the household. Paul similarly writes that in 1 Timothy 5.14. And contextually, in the first century world, women did not work outside. They did not have functions outside of the home. So contextually, Paul is equipping, he's encouraging, and empowering women where they are, which was in their homes. And Paul is not saying that women are not to work outside the home, but he is saying that your family is always the priority. Like we read in Proverbs 31, it shows the qualities of biblical womanhood. And subject to their husbands. And this is nothing new to scriptures. It is consistent with all the scriptures. And God has created order in the beginning of Genesis. That Eve was created to be Adam's helper. Because it was not good for man to be alone. And then with regard to how this submission works in marriage. Paul doesn't say much in Titus. But he explains it more in Ephesians 5. Which is the same idea. That both husband and wife are called to submit their hearts and lives to Christ. 
And then within the marriage relationship, as the husband submits to Christ, the husband is called to lay down his life for his wife, and that is sacrificial love. And then in turn, the husband lays down his life for his wife, and then the wife voluntarily submits to her husband, and this isn't an obligation, but it is a joy. And there is love and respect from and toward both parties out of mutual submission to Christ. And my wife, Allison, and I have recited these truths together as a part of our wedding vows straight out of Ephesians 5. We've been married for eight years now. And marriage isn't easy, but it's always just such an encouragement to remember the covenant that we made before the Lord, that we are committed to Christ and to each other as teammates on an adventure full of love, respect, sacrifice, and joy. And moving on to verse 6. Paul instructs younger men to be self-controlled. And that is his only charge to younger men is to be self-controlled. Perhaps the reason why young men of Crete needed to hear this word because this was a big priority for the young men on the island of Crete. To have soundness of mind, once again, to have sensible behavior, self-control, is to not act as the Cretans do. Don't be liars. Don't be cheaters. Don't give into sinful temptations, but to have a life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit. He instructs Titus, he instructs Titus' important role to be an example to the younger men, sharing the importance of integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. And this is so anyone who opposes has nothing bad to say about him. And this echoes what we heard last week that Pastor Dominic was sharing on, that it is so important for believers and leaders, of which we learned about last week, to live lives that are above reproach. And 1 Peter 3.16 shares this same idea, that if someone slanders a leader or a believer who is living above, above reproach, the slander will be ashamed. And this is because there's nothing bad to say about believers or leaders who are living above reproach. Slanderous lies will sound ridiculous because they are ridiculous. And that is what Paul and Peter are both saying. This idea of living above reproach is not only applicable within a church context, but this is also applicable within a workplace or other social arenas that you find yourself in. And as Paul continues on with that, and he continues on with that throughout the rest of the passage. And then when we look at the word slave within our 21st century mindset, we automatically think of transatlantic slave trade or of human trafficking, which are absolute atrocities. However, in the context of Titus, Paul is speaking to a first century Roman context where slavery was something that people could generally sell themselves into for a place of shelter and generally could later buy themselves out of, kind of like bond servants or indentured servants. 
So there are many different nuances within that that I don't really have time to unpack. But from our perspective, we can best view this as an employee and employer relationship. And Paul is sharing with us the importance of not talking back, to not steal, and to be a trustworthy employee. And I know a lot of you are various leaders in industries and various professions. And when you're leading a team member who exemplifies these characteristics, someone who doesn't constantly question everything, they're a good team player, they work hard, you know that you can trust them and do what they are set to do, and they are people of integrity, these are the people who you want on your team. And that is what Paul is saying. Be these kinds of people. And the reason for this, and this is kind of like a summary of the entire passage, the reason to be these kinds of people, to be people who apply truths to their lives, the main reason, important right here, is to make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. That when you live out of the fruits of the Spirit, people will look at you and say, there's something different about you. And that's because there is. That is because when we declare Jesus is Lord and receive, receive through faith the work that he did for us on the cross and through the resurrection, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Every believer in Jesus and completely changes the way that we live. And that brings us to the end of where we're studying in Titus. We're stopping at verse 10, and we'll be continuing in verse 11 next week. But that this difficult of Scripture is difficult to unpack as it speaks of the importance of self-control in a disciplined life for the purpose of people seeing a difference in the life of the follower of Jesus. And it is important to understand this. Right here. The way that we live and the way that we behave and the way that we act, people will see. And most importantly, it's people outside the church will see. And that when we live lives that are transformed by the truth of the gospel, when we live lives that show that we are changed from that we are changed through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus. That is how we can help to be lights in our dark world and is where we can share the, to others the transforming truths that change and transforms other lives. Let's go ahead and pray. We thank you, Jesus, for the truth that you have revealed to us through your scriptures. We pray that you would help us to be transformed by the truths. Where truth might hit us hard, I pray that you would give us understanding as to why it is important to change these areas in our lives and that you would continually help us to look more like you, Jesus, so that people would see you and come to a saving faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.